everyone, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your ever-present host, Ray Harkins. Thank you for joining us this week. We got a special episode for you. A lot of you may be new to this show, and I appreciate that fact. So what I'm encouraging you to do is go back in the archives. I've got 148 of these things prior to this of people that honestly... Each one is special in and of itself. Like these are people that I've very finely selected and decided to speak to and I I think are doing something compelling and interesting within the context of independent music. So anyways, last week's episode was was very popular. So I want to make sure if you're new to welcome you in with open arms. And something that brings me great joy is when I see a person dive into the archives and then post on their social media. I can kind of see the journey where they're like, hey, this interview was awesome. And I know for the people who I interview and you tag them on whatever social media you're tagging on, even though like this is a lot to do with me and less to do with the guests, I feel like I I, I create a very welcoming and warm environment and I create an actual connection with these people. Some of these people that I interview are obviously already friends of mine, so we continue that connection. But then there are others who I'm not friends with or I don't interact with on a daily basis that I do believe I have that connection with. So when they when they see that pop up in their social media thing, they're like, oh, yeah, Ray, that was a fun conversation. Anyways, so basically I'm just, I'm having you kind of inflate my ego in a certain way. But anyways, I digress. The guest this week is Nathan Gluck from Ensign. And for those of you who have been living under a rock, he has been going through a, a pretty tough struggle with cancer. And there's actually something very special that's happening this weekend called Nate Fest in Howell, New Jersey at Game Changer World. Basically, a bunch of bands who have been influenced directly by either Nate's band or Nate's friendship are playing the show. Everybody from Kill Your Idols, Grades, Sick of It All, Cro-Max, Floor Punch, you name it. If they lived in the Northeast area and played shows, they're probably playing this show. It's happening this weekend on the 21st and 22nd. So go attend. I'll talk about Nate a little bit more after I do some items of business. So visit the website, 100wordspodcast.com. You can interact with the show via email and also via a news blast I send out once a week. I'm encouraging people to sign up for this because I'm getting a lot of really, really fun feedback right side of the page. You can email the show. You can sign up to the email blast. And then if you want to donate, I would really appreciate that. The month of April is going to be huge for donations because basically two months out of the year, I bug the hell out of you for donations. So I'm just just preparing you. If you are a regular listener, you'll you'll hear some pleas. So anyways, if you want to get a head start in it, go ahead and do that. And I, I have to plug another podcast, which I know like, oh my gosh, wow. What, what? How original is it that someone else started a podcast? Of course, everybody has a podcast and I understand that. But I, I am selfishly promoting this, but I'm also selflessly promoting it because I really do think it's a cool show. So a friend of mine, Leander, he launched a show called Band-Aids, like, you know, like the Band-Aid that you put on yourself, but Band-Aids, like A-I-D-E-S, like I'm aiding you, I'm helping you. He has accumulated a lot of friends in the music industry and he's interviewing them in a very highly edited and narrative podcast that basically kind of takes you through these people's journeys one specific goal at a time. So basically the first episode is all about where a person has started and where they are now. And it's a very interesting look 
at how varying people in the music industry kind of got their foot in the door and how they got started. So anyways, he interviewed me for the first season and go check it out. It's bandaidspodcast.com. So there we go. Shameless plug and selfless plug all wrapped into one. Anyways, so Nate from Ensign, like I said, if if you are existing on the internet, you've probably seen some social media promotion about this because basically he raised, well, not he, his neighbor, a very good friend of his raised a lot of money for him because he was going through a really, really difficult battle and still continues to go through a battle with stomach cancer. So it's it was incredibly heartening to see this because not his cancer, but the circling of the wagon, so to speak, of people who wanted to contribute to his cause. And his cause was basically like, I need to save my house. There's going to be these massive bills that are going to crush myself and my family because I can't work. His wife is out of work for a little bit. So basically, the hardcore community and the independent music community circled the wagons and donated a crap load of money, which was awesome. I saw it within the first day and was like, here's 20 bucks towards it, man. Nate was always a great guy to me. I worked with him on a few different things in the music industry side of things. And he was just, no one says anything bad about this dude. And to see all of the outpouring of love, like you'll hear it in the interview. But anyways, just, I, I was unsure of whether or not he wanted to talk about this stuff. Like, you know, of course he wants to talk about it with his friends and other people, but I didn't know if he wanted to go in this public of a form and promote this, not even promote the, the show or anything like that, but just talk about his journey because basically uh, it's rough stuff. So he, we spend the bulk of the episode discussing his battle with cancer and kind of what he goes through on sort of a daily basis. And then we also speak about his band Ensign and a lot of other great stuff. But this is a crucial episode. This gives me goosebumps because this is exactly what we're all involved in this thing for, to feel less alone. And Nate's fundraising thing and the outpouring of love that I've noticed from our community, just it gives me goosebumps. It's exactly, it just confirms that I've made the right decision to surround myself with this weird, weird music. So anyways, without further ado, here's my discussion with Nate and I will talk to you after this is over. Being from Southern California and starting to get into the heart hardcore scene in like the mid to late 90s ensign was such a force it was one of those things where i'm sure you guys felt like all right cool we're gonna play the showcase that show is gonna be absolutely incredible it was it was awesome it was a really cool time you know um the mindset that we had uh as we started touring a lot and a lot of this came from the early tours that we did where we got you know we were really fortunate that um sick of it all for us was like big brothers, you know, they really took us under their wing and, you know, put us on some weekends and then started taking us out on tour and really, you know, were showing us, Hey, this is how you do it. You know, this is, this is how to be a band outside of, you know, I'm using industry term because, you know, as you know, from, from our dealings over the years, I worked in the industry for a while, you know, so, uh, they really kind of showed us how to, how to expand outside of our own market um you know and from from touring with sick of it all and touring with good riddance we came up with the mindset of we wanted to go everywhere we could as often as we could 
And we wanted all these kids in these scenes, you know, whether it be Southern California or Seattle or, you know, Houston, Texas or Lawrence, Kansas, you know, just all these places. We didn't want those people to look at us as like just a touring band that's coming through. It's like, no, we want to be here so often that you start to think of us as your own like local band, you know? So, so we just kept hitting back and hitting back and hitting back, you know, and just come hang out, come have fun. You know, it's like, it's always going to be a good time when we come through. Yeah, no, that I, that's a very interesting mentality because it, it, that's not, uh, obviously it's not easy to accomplish, especially from the context of, of (laughs) bands of that nature, uh, especially around the time you guys were touring. It's like, that was when, uh, bands obviously didn't have the con- the conceit or the concept that it was like, oh yeah, like we can make a quote unquote living off of this. But what you say as far as viewing the band as sort of another local band, that totally was the case in Southern California where it was like, even though you guys are from New Jersey, you guys like on a slow year would be here like four yeah. times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like, a, it was like a second home for us. Right, right, right. No, totally. And it was it was incredible to watch because it was like you did feel that sort of like groundswell of anticipation every time you were coming through. Each individual show was was special and it wasn't like you felt like there was that oversaturation where it was like, oh, dude, I just saw those guys. Like you felt like every time you came through, there was a reason you were coming yep. through as opposed to just like spinning your wheels, you know. But yeah, no, it was it, it was it was very cool to be able to see that. And honestly, you guys were definitely one of the first bands that I um could really sort of, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term, like root for on a national level. Cause it's like, obviously in Southern California, we had a lot of, uh, a lot of bands that were coming up, but then you guys were just like, seemed to be sort of adopted (laughs) within the context of, of our scene. And it was like, wow, that's a really cool thing. It's not easy to be like, you know, penetrated within that, that uh, particular local scene. You no, know? I completely agree. And uh, I also attribute a lot of that to all the love and support that we got from, you know, like Dave Mandel and, and Indecision Records and, you know, um, our, our, like all the friends that we made, you know, really locally within that tight knit, you know, um, Orange County scene, you know, Adamantium, Eyelid, Death by Stereo, you know, like all, all those, all those dudes, it's like just spending all this time with them and really, you know, like everyone really became like family, you know, and even from there, as we like kind of expanded and, and moved on to Nitro Records and, you know, like still kind of staying in the Orange County punk hardcore scene, but, you know, like kind of um, bridging it a little bit, you know, like I, I, I always hate to be like, you know, taking that next step because it's such a, you know, it's such a like industry buzz word, but you know, like that's, that's what it was. It was like, okay, we've, you know, hit, hit the ceiling of, of where we were at with what we could do. So, Hey, why not? Let's see what we can do trying to take a step or two further, you know, but at the same time, like you said before, it was never, let's do this for a living and make money off of it. It was a passion and it, you know, it was a, a hope that, we could keep doing it and and afford to be able to keep doing it. But we never really looked at it as, oh, let's try and make money, you know, where where you have like bands, especially in in this day and age, uh, you know, especially with the way the Internet and social media and everything is. They go into it starting off with like that mentality of let's be as big as we can be and make all the money we can make and all this and that. And it's like, no, for us, it was always just a, a passion, you know, I mean, even still. We, we, you know, like Tim always makes a, a comment um, when we play where it's like, we're still working on new music. We still plan to release stuff. We still, you know, 
play when we can. And, uh, and he always kind of makes the comments like, he's like, we're, we're just too dumb to die. You know, it's like, right. that's, that's <laughs> really, that's just how we are. It's like, our mentality has just always been this. We're a punk hardcore band. We do this because we love it. It's what, you know, it's what we eat, live and breathe. So I, I don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, totally. I, I, it, it definitely, uh, it was exemplified in that fact, uh, of, of the earlier days when it was, it, it definitely seemed like obviously you guys were just kind of putting one foot in front of the other and things kept growing, but it was never, um, yeah, you, you never felt that it was like, Oh, here's a, here's a business plan that's laid for yeah. or whatever. But usually I kind of like, you know, dive into a person's origin story, but obviously like we can, we can address that in a little bit, but obviously, you know, you are going through a, massive change in your life right now and i wanted to kind of bring that up towards the top of the show just because you know that's obviously i'm sure uh all you're thinking about currently because you're absolutely in the middle of it so um you know can you kind of walk me through like what uh you know what's transpired as far as like the you know diagnosis and the cancer and everything else in regards to that sure uh i will say though it it's not all i'm thinking about <laughs> i make a very a very uh concerted effort to not let it, you know, be the, the sum focus of everything, you know, because I feel like when you do that, that's when it really becomes all you have in your life. You know, I like, um, you know, I've, I've dealt with cancer in my life, you know, uh, uh, throughout my, and, you know, throughout my entire life in terms of friends and family members that have, that have passed, um, even most recently as, uh, I lost my mother to pancreatic cancer five years ago. And mm -hmm. pancreatic cancer, uh, while no cancer is good, that's one of the ones that's that's one of the really bad ones. You know, the survival rate is such a low percentage that by the time they catch it, you know, by the time you're having symptoms, it's usually already too late for them to do more than try to make you comfortable. You know, so mm -hmm. um, I've, I've seen it, you know, take over people's lives. And uh, mm -hmm. I really try to make an effort to not let it take more from my life than, um, than what it needs to. Yeah. Uh, I, I completely understand. Cause yeah, that, that is true. I mean, I, I've, I think anybody that's been touched by, uh, that, you know, disease, whether it's a family member or, or someone they're close to there, there definitely is that, that mentality of like the moment that you feel like, you know, whatever you give it the power or control, whatever you want to say, um, you know, that's when it consumes you. So I, I apologize for misrepresenting <laughs> that, but no, I, I, I appreciate, I appreciate the education, but yeah, so it's not everything you're thinking yeah. about right now, but you are, uh, you, you, you're in the middle of it, uh, Absolutely. so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So w w walk me yeah. through it a little and bit. I, and I wasn't trying to, I, I knew, I knew what no. you meant, but I was, <laughs> I was totally. like, I'm going to throw this out there anyway, because, Please. you know, <laughs> absolutely, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I love to be uh, challenged from that perspective because it's like all, all it is is an education process. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, true. Yeah, you're, you're right. Nate. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. So we'll uh, we'll we'll step towards the beginning. Uh, the last few years of my life, uh, I've put on a bunch of weight and, and was, uh, you know, really not happy about it. But being the lazy person that I am wasn't really doing anything about it other than occasionally being like, yeah, I should really go on a diet. <laughs> right. Right. So, uh, in May of this year, I had a, a, not a car accident, but an accident with my car. Uh, my, my car caught fire and, uh, while I was driving it and, um, no one got hurt. I didn't lose anything other than the vehicle. Like I was able to salvage everything out of the vehicle, but I used that as like the catalyst for me to finally, really just wake up and, and make some changes that were necessary in my life. 
Um, one of them being, well, I no longer had a car and, and had to wait for the insurance claim to go through. And fortunately, I was working a job that I could walk to, you know, not super close to my home, but close enough that, you know, the walk was feasible, uh, especially being somebody overweight and lazy. Right, um, right, right. So, you know, I, I changed my diet. Uh, cut out all the crap I had been eating. I started exercising more. I was walking to and from work. And, uh, you know, I, I started to feel better and I started losing weight. And so this this was a great thing. And then uh, a couple months later, I started having digestive issues, you know, acid reflux, indigestion, heartburn. Um, and these were things I had never really had before. You know, I mean, maybe random occasion throughout my life. But, it, you know, I wasn't somebody that was really plagued with any of these issues. Concerned me at first. Uh, well, at first, it more annoyed me because I was like, hey, man, I just changed all this shit in my life. And I'm, I'm <laughs> doing all these healthy things. Shouldn't I be feeling better? Why? Why am I feeling, you know, sick instead of better? Um, right. Uh, so uh, some time had gone on. Um, you know, I tried treating it with over the counter drugs, um, you know, like, Pepto and Tums and Prilosec, you know, like basically I kept kind of trying each one to see what was going to work. And each one worked for a little bit, you know, a short period of time, but didn't really, you know, wasn't really fixing the, the, the issue. So eventually I got to the point that I realized I should go see somebody about this because it just seems strange that I should be feeling better because of the changes in my life. And I'm not. And none of these over-the-counters are really helping it any. So, you know, maybe it's time to go see a doctor. Um, mm -hmm. The downside was right, you know, so, so the doctor you go see is a, a gastroenterologist. Um, you know, like that's the person that really, you know, goes and examines all your, you know, your, your intestines and your stomach and your esophagus, you know, all the stuff that makes it, you know, possible for you to eat and digest and do this stuff. I went to see a doctor, um, you know, she uh, scheduled a few exams. Um, however, right at that same time, my wife lost her job and I was under her benefits. You know, we were on a family plan under her job because she had really good benefits. So I was able to start some of the tests, but we hadn't gotten to the upper endoscopy, which is where they stick the the tube with the camera down your throat to actually look and see what's going on inside. That was the big one, you know, and uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to do that uh, because we lost insurance. We, uh, uh, you know, like looking at um, trying to keep the insurance going through Cobra, which is, you know, what they offer when you leave a job. Um, mm -hmm. It was just too expensive. It was more money than than we could afford to, you know, to pay each month on top of the bills that we were, you know, we were already having some issues with and the fact that now she was unemployed. So I had to put it on on hold, you know, and kind of just kept self-treating it with uh, with over-the-counter medicines um, until I started a new job in November. When I started the new job in November, uh, they offered health insurance right away. So, you know, first thing I did was find a new doctor in network and went to go see him and see what was going on. So same thing, you know, went, you know, gave all the information I had before. We started doing all the testing. And um, when we did the upper endoscopy, that was when the doctor actually found uh, cancer growth in my esophagus and my stomach. Um, you know, he didn't really have much of a bedside manner. <laughs> so, sure. so I'm, I'm sitting in this like, you know, recovery room coming out of the anesthesia that they give you. Cause they don't put you out 
they do what's called twilight anesthesia. So basically you feel like you're asleep, but you're actually awake. Um, so I'm still kind of, you know, like groggy and coming out of it. And, uh, my wife and I are sitting there and this doctor literally just comes walking in the room and he's like, it's bad. We found cancer. And that, and that was pretty much it. It's just like, <laughs> you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Um, however, because of the type of person I am and the attitude that I have just, just in general, the way, you know, the, the way that I am, he says this and, and, you know, instead of freaking out about it or, you know, uh, losing it and bursting into tears or getting angry or whatever, I literally was just like, okay, what's next? You know, what's like next? what's the next yeah. step? Like, you know, cause, um, part of it for me was while I was having all these digestive issues before finding out that, okay, this is what's causing it. I knew that if I was really stressed at work or stressed about, you know, bills or things going on at home or, you know, got overexcited about something, not like, you know, like a happy overexcited, you know, it's like if I got too worked up, like anything that caused too much emotional change, um, would make the acids in my stomach kind of kick around and it made me feel like garbage. So I had been spending a lot of time doing everything I could to remain very calm, very even keeled, you know, very kind of Zen and realized just needed to keep continuing that rolling over with me. So like, literally I was just like, okay, what's, what's next, you know? And sure, sure. From there, you know, like the doctor said, well, don't know yet if it's benign or malignant, you know, we took the biopsies, we sent them out. We've now got to wait for the biopsies to come in. Um, however, you know, one thing that he, that he said that was slightly alarming was, you know, normally I, I set up a follow-up visit for like a week later, but given what I saw and, and what's going on. He's like, I want to see you two days from now. So it was a little like, okay, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah. That, that's not, that sounds quick. That's an, that's not average. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so I went and saw him. Um, he didn't have the full biopsy information back at that point. Cause it, you know, I, I guess it takes a few days or can take a few days for, um, you know, for everything to, you know, to, to come back for them to do all the testing they do on it. Uh, but he did at that point, at least have the information that it was, um, it was malignant. It wasn't benign. So basically it means it was live active cancer, you know, uh, not, um, not just a growth that isn't doing anything and just needs to be removed. Like, you know, it was, it was, Hey, you have cancer and you need to, now find an oncologist and start, you know, you know, figuring out the, the treatment from, from that point. That's that, that was, that was the next step. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I <laughs> yeah. mean, of course that's, that's scary news to have from anybody, you know, it's like anytime mm -hmm. someone tells you, Hey, we found, we found a cancer growth, you know, you're always going to have your fingers crossed that it, it comes by, uh, comes back as benign. And, you know, all, all you need to do is just have it, removed and you know continue on with your life like no one no one wants to hear like hey no you actually have cancer and now you need to figure everything out and treat it uh, but like, like i said it was just kind of one of those well you know what what can i do i can't change the fact that i have it so let's figure everything out let's do all the tests we need to do and make a plan and beat this because as far as i was concerned i'm not just another statistic i'm not a number you know, I've got things I want to do with my life. I've got music I still want to write and play. I've got shows I want to play. I've got places I want to go. So it's like, let's do this, get this done so I can get back to actually living my life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so uh, we found um, 
a great oncologist who works over at uh, Sloan Kettering, which is um, you know one of the one of the large uh, cancer centers out here. They fortunately have a facility here in New Jersey. Like their main one is in New York City, but they have one in New Jersey, and it's only well, it's only like 30, 40 minutes from my home. Um, New York City is also only like 40 minutes from my home, but it's a harder travel. There's tolls, there's parking, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it. So I was happy to see that there was a facility here in New Jersey. You know, it has a great reputation. The oncologist we were, we were able to find that, that works there. She is a specialist in this field, in this exact kind of cancer that I have, has an amazing track record. You know, it was just kind of one of those, like everything was kind of just falling into place where it's like, this all makes sense. This is the, you know, the right place, the right person, you know, everything just about it. I don't want to say too good to be true, but basically it's like, hey, this is great that instead of this being this long drawn out process and making this harder and, um, you know, just really dragging it down and, and, and making everything difficult it all kind of happened quickly. And if it, yeah, I'm sure you feel felt like it obviously it synced up where it was like, oh, well this this seems like exactly what I wanted in this scenario. Yeah, exactly. It just it all kind of fell into place quickly and, you know, in a good way. Um mm-hmm. the whole thing was really quick. You know, I I mean, I don't I don't I don't know how it is for obviously every person that is diagnosed with cancer and and what happens for them with their their treatment and or um, finding out like all the information. But it was literally December 8th was when I had the endoscopy and the doctor came and said, hey, we found cancer. And then January 8th was the last visit with the oncologist where I had completed every exam, every test, everything they wanted to do. And we were able to sit down and discuss the entire picture. You know, here's everything. Here's what you have. Here's what stage it is. Here's what we need to do for treatment, like everything. So it was literally a month from diagnosis to full information and hitting the ground running. And it was like, I mean, I, I felt like that was really fast. You know, um, like I sure. said, I don't, I don't have, I remember my mom going through everything. I just don't remember what the time frame was, like how quick all that happened. But to me, this, it just felt like, wow, this is really quick, like one month to do everything and really soak it in and, and understand it. And, you know, trying to do that like that quick is, uh, it's overwhelming. But like I said, at the same time, I'm just kind of like, I can't change it. So we're going to do whatever it is that we need to do. Sure. Well, and I'm sure in some respects too, it's like when things become prolonged, that's when you obviously have more time to be, you know, reflective, dwell on it. Yeah. You can let the, you can let the fear consume you. You can let these things, you know, you, everybody's mind, no matter how, you know, calm they try to be or whatever their, their temperament is, when you do leave it alone and it's quiet, that's, that that's exactly when your your mind will take you to the worst places possible where you're just like no like stop shut up don't don't say that you know so i'm sure in some respects even though you were kind of numb going through the process in some respects i'm sure like like you said it was ultimately a positive thing that it happened so quickly yeah you know and um the uh scary part on it was when i had to sit down with the doctor on january 8th you know, like one of the things that she said, um, there were a few a few things that she said that were really key, you know, both positive and negative, but just, you know, really important focal points that she said. Um, one of them was 
the cancer is in my esophagus and stomach. However, specifically, I don't have stomach cancer. She made that point to me and really drove it home to make sure I understood that. Because when you look at the statistics for stomach cancer proper, they're really bad. You know, it's really low. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a really tough cancer that a lot of people don't come through. Um, you know, at the same time, she was like the, the negative was, you know, like with, with the cancer, normally the uh, counts for it are like 50 to 60 and it's an aggressive cancer. She told me that my, my counts, my numbers for it were 90. So she's like, it's an aggressive cancer and yours is way more aggressive, you know? So it was like, Hey, today's Thursday, January 8th, tomorrow you're going to the hospital for them to put in what's called a pick line. It's a mm-hmm. it's a catheter line that goes into my right bicep, uh, travels up to my shoulder and across over to um, the second largest valve of my heart. Uh, basically, this is an IV line that is in my arm 24-7, you know, like the entire time during this treatment, it is staying in. Um, so basically, it's a way for them to hook up to give me the IV um, that's safer as well as, you know, saves time, so to speak. You know, it, it, it means every time I go for treatment, I don't have to have them put in a new IV, which is, you know, is, is difficult for a lot of cancer patients because what happens is when they use the, the veins in your arms, um, like the smaller veins that travel down towards your wrists and um, your forearms and stuff, um, those veins are smaller and weaker. So when they pump these chemo meds through them, uh, a lot of cancer patients have issues where the veins start to collapse. You know, they get worn down from, you know, from this medicine going through and it it thins them out and eventually they sort of close up and, you know, you have to use a a different vein, you know, and so it adds a lot of like stress to it. Um, So fortunately for me, uh, with, with this treatment, this IV line is in all the time. Um, it took a little getting used to, but, uh, the, the positive end of it is every time I go, well, I can get into that more specifically, but almost every time I go, they just use this for everything. So I'm not constantly getting stuck with a needle, which is nice because despite all the tattoos, I I hate needles. <laughs> yeah, especially in in the context of what it is you're you're doing right now. You know, I I wanted to shift away for a second for the um because you know without uh, using any hyperbole or any cliches in regards to the you know fundraising campaign that was launched for you by your neighbor, correct? Yes, it's actually the uh, the wife of the original Ensign drummer Chris Ross, who also oh, played in, okay. in Nora. Um, he and I currently play in a band called Man Alive. Um, he's, you know, he's one of my oldest friends. I mean, I've known him now for, wow, like, uh, almost, almost 25 years, I think. Um, and they literally live three houses away, you know? So, right. you know, they're actually like him and his wife, it, they're the reason that, um, we bought the house here. You know, it was one of the times we were coming to visit them that we wound up parking in front of it. And it was right before I got married and the house was for sale. And it was like, everything just kind of fell into, into place with that one, you know? And it's like, right. I spent, a, you're like, yeah, I'll t- we'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I spent a lot of time over there, you know, like, uh, uh, man alive practices at, at, that at their house, you know, so I literally just grabbed my guitar and walked three houses down <laughs> for band practice. That's a, <laughs> extremely convenient. Very um, convenient. But yeah, it's, it was his wife that, that set up the, uh, the GoFundMe. 
Um, right. Because it, it's, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like you, you know, this day and age, obviously the way that the, you know, internet and social media can, can spread a message and spread, you know, the fundraising thing. Like there's obviously a stigma that's attached to it, especially when you're looking for, uh, you know, in the context of, of bands. And sometimes people use those, you know, uh, fundraising campaigns for, you know, honestly, like trite issues where it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, I had a flat tire in my car. Like, you know, clearly no one was throwing stones at uh, the, the campaign that was launched for you. I specifically wanted to address the fact that it was like, as, like I said, without trying to, uh, you know, tread too much on hyperbole or cliches, the fact that it was like, as successful as it was to, you know, honestly, in many ways, I'm sure transform the situation you're dealing with currently. I, it just shocked me. And I can't even imagine what was going on in your head as you were just like, what the like, what is this? This is insane. Yeah, I, I, I mean, even still, it's like I, I have a hard time talking about it just because it's hard to put into words how I feel about it, uh, especially because I don't want to necessarily say something I've said a thousand times before, um, as, since this has been going on, but it's really, it's, it's true. Uh, I wind up repeating myself when, when people ask me about it, but it's, mm -hmm. it's like all I can really do in this situation, you know, in terms of gratitude is say, thank you. But yep. it sounds so like empty and hollow. Like, thank you just doesn't sound like the the words you want to use for something of this magnitude because man you go you go to starbucks and and the guy gives you your coffee and your change and you say thank you you know like yeah exactly you know, like it seems like so i don't know just trite and it's like no i wish i wish i could put into words or or you know be able to take this feeling inside and be able to just share that with people but it's you know i mean it's it's a it's a feeling you know like you, you can't see it you know i'm sure it's obviously when people uh you know have expressed to you uh, that like ensign was such a a formative band or was so meaningful to them it's like you know you don't know what to do with that because obviously it's so one-sided which is exactly the same thing as this is like you you didn't ask to be put in a situation you're in but you're in it you're in the middle of it and then all of a sudden this thing happens that you're just like, uh, okay. But I think that the, the one thing that I found so, um, I guess, engaging and interesting for me, because like, honestly, it was like, I think it was the first few hours that it started to go around, where it was like, you know, whatever. I'm like, all right, yeah, of course, like, I know Nate. Nate has always been extremely, extremely cool with me in everything that we've done together. And I'm like, I am absolutely contributing because this is, of course, like, you know, that's that's what we do as a community. Like I said, that, that sort of cliche, that, you know, hardcore takes care of their own it's like all that stuff is meaningless until like you actually see something like this happen where you're just like oh because nate has been the person he is not only within the context of our scene so to speak but in the world at large it's like that that's the the quote-unquote dividends that are paid for it you know and like that what you're receiving right now is all of the positive energy that you've put out into the world and i'm sure um that's the common uh thought that people i'm sure have shared towards you yeah i mean the entire thing is just mind-blowing um uh to 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 get to the to the kind of like step back for for a half a second to the start of the gofundme um jenna who's my neighbor that 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 put it up chris ross's wife she came to me you know and uh she had recently prior to that um had a successful GoFundMe campaign for a friend of all of ours in town where we live, whose home burned down from a from a fire, you know, uh, an unfortunate electrical fire. 
you know, she raised, I think it was like, like $15,000, something along those lines. Um, you know, and it was, I mean, it was amazing to see that happen when it happened. And and she kind of came to me and was like, look, I know that you're an extremely private person. You know, she's like, I know you don't talk about your problem. She's like, I know you're the last person to ask anybody for help. She's like, but I would like to, to set this up and do this if you're okay with me sort of going public with what's going on. You know, she really felt that it was something that would be able to help in terms of, you know, lessening some of the the financial burden of what was going on as well as what was going to be coming. And, um, you know, I mean, I kind of sat there and, and, you know, it was one of those, like, gave it a, a couple days to think about because I am a really private person, despite the fact that I get up on stage and, you know, and I'm more than happy to talk to anybody about pretty much anything. I don't usually go into a lot of personal things in my life and or any time I've ever been in, you know, in a situation where I needed help. I'm not somebody that goes and, and asks for help. Like I would much rather spend my time helping other people than turning around and being like, oh, woe was me. You know, can you give me a hand? You know, like that's right. just, you know, I attribute it to how I was raised and just in general, like what, you know, what I've seen in my life and, and how I've lived it and everything. And so it was difficult for me to kind of swallow my pride and be like, all right, you know, this makes sense. So, okay, if you want to do this, then you have my blessing. You know, it's, it was something I really had to kind of think about because, you know, like I said, like, I don't want to be, you know, just another person out there being like, hey, I need help. Somebody help me. Internet panhandler, even though it's like anybody with any shred of dignity or soul would look at this thing and and be like, that's that's real as opposed to like, yeah, like, you know, my whatever I, 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 I my 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 car ran into a tree because I fell asleep at the wheel and help me out. And it's like, well, that that's a little different story than what you're going through. Yeah, ex- exactly. And that was part of what. I thought about with it before, you know, like coming to the realization of, all right, you know, go ahead. Like, you know, cause I'm not going to do it, <laughs> you know, like clearly I'm going to be the last person to, to post it myself and be like, Hey, Hey everybody, you know, <laughs> right, you know, right. especially because having, having worked within the music industry, man, uh, how many times have we seen these fundraising campaigns where it was like, Oh man, we were, on tour and somebody broke into our van and stole all of our equipment and all of our money and all of our laptops and everything because we left them sitting out on the seats on the front seat you yeah, know, yeah, it's exactly. just like, i'm like have you never left home before like i'm not saying i don't feel bad when that happens because i do of course i feel bad anytime anything like that happens because that sucks but almost every time you see it it's like you haven't learned from the thousand other times that this has happened that if you leave all of your important items in your vehicle out in plain view, somebody's probably going to come along and take them. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, I learned that before, you know, the internet was what the internet is, you know, just, mm-hmm. just from touring, it was common sense of, Hey, okay, we're parking the van and we're going to go hang out and go get food or do this or do that. I'm putting all my personal stuff in my backpack and I'm bringing my backpack with me. And yeah, it's going to suck walking around, whatever city and whatever state or country we're in for the next like five hours better than the alternative of coming back and saying, 
oh shit, the window's broken and all my stuff is gone. You know, so right. So that's some of the stuff that was kind of going through my head when I was like, oh man, like one of those crowdfunding campaigns, you know, like you know, like what, what am I uh, broken side trying to put out a new album? You know, like, yeah. Oh no, no, exactly. And, and like anybody that's ever obviously run across you knows kind of you know what what you are no knows you as a person and knows that like that was never you know your intention from that perspective the, the reason i wanted to kind of you know obviously speak about that and belabor that point is just the fact that it's like there's a lot of uh there's there's obviously a lot of uh talk in regards to uh the way that people should conduct themselves especially in relation to independent music and um you know i, I some of the most you know, transformative speeches I've heard at shows, you know, from either, you know, Tim from Ensign or whatever, Nate from Boys is Fire, like all of those sort of mid mid to late nineties hardcore bands of like the thing that I took from most of them is the fact that what we do in here and in this room of 400 to 600 people should be awesome and engaging enough for you to take this like into the real world. Like you need to be, you know, positive and nice and uh, have all these values that you learned within the context of this scene and be able to apply it to your coworker who has no context for this. And it's like, I see what has happened with you as like a complete and direct correlation of that, you know, because it is, it is just one of those things where it's just like, Oh yeah, like this is, this is a person who's dedicated their lives to, you know, this completely fruitless endeavor from a financial perspective <laughs> of, <laughs> of, of, of playing in bands. And then now it's like, oh yeah, like when when the rubber hits the road and this person is, you know, kind of backed into a financial corner, it's like, well, yeah, like everybody will chip in and, and feel like they are uh, a part of something greater than just themselves, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was really phenomenal. Like from from that, like that month from when I was first diagnosed to when... um treatment was starting as well as like the, the GoFundMe launched. And then like a couple of days later was when I started treatment that, that month, I spent a lot of time thinking about what was going on, you know, thinking about the fact that I had cancer, taking stock of my life, you know, just, you know, just, I mean, being, you know, introspective and, and retrospective for that matter. But the entire time, I hadn't had that like breakdown moment, you know, where it was like, despite the fact of being, you know, alone with my thoughts uh, uh, quite a lot, it never really broke me, you know, and, and that was one of the things like the once or twice that I felt it start to like well up, um, you know, because despite playing in aggressive hardcore bands, I, I am actually a sappy, emotional, like hopeless romantic. You know, like I, mm -hmm. I, I've always been that way. You know, I'm like the emo tough guy or something. <laughs> of course. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, so I, you know, like the once or twice that it started to like, I felt it start to come on. I was like, no, no, fuck you. Like I am, I am stronger than this. I am better than this. You know, like I'm not shedding a tear over this cancer. Like it's, it's not worth it. Um, but the day that the GoFundMe launched, like sitting there and watching it, not even talking about from like a financial standpoint, just seeing all this love and support, all these comments. Um, I, that was what, that was my breaking moment. Like I literally for like two days straight, just sat looking at my phone, refreshing the page and reading these comments and seeing all this happening and, and lost. It was just in like tears literally for like two days, but it was mm -hmm. good because it was, it was the right kind, you know, it was the, everything really is going to be okay. You know, like this, 
was such a, a, a weight off of my shoulders, you know, because going going into it outside of having to think about going into cancer treatment. And yes, I have insurance through my job, but, you know, it's like even with insurance, you know, still looking at, you know, easily hundred to two hundred thousand dollar, you know, like <laughs> out of pocket um, or, or at least based off of research done with it. You know, it's like, I still don't know and won't know what the full tally is going to be until treatment is done. Cause while you're going through treatment, they just kind of send you these things where they're like, Hey, you don't know anything right now, but just to let you know, here's where we're, we're at. Definitely. It's a little overwhelming. Yeah, um, no, no. And, and that's what, that's why I wanted, I, you know, one of the main reasons I obviously wanted to have you on too, because I think a, a lot of, uh, a lot of what you're going through uh, is is important to be able to express in this form and not just be kind of, you know, contextualized in this, you know, whatever, this one web page or whatever. It's like, you know, this is this is an important thing that you're going through. And I think it's important for not only yourself, but obviously other people to look at like, this is how we take care of each other. Yeah. Like, as, and it's I just think it's it's such a it's such a powerful um, message. And it's been great that there's been such a, you know, yeah, like I said, just overwhelming support for, for what it is that you, um, you know, are, are going through. And it's, I'm sure, like you said, it's just the, the moments of, of feeling like, you know, you're, you're hopeless are completely outweighed by just the positive, um, feedback that you've gotten, you've gotten from people who are just like, Hey, I, 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 I want to see you get through this and here, let me see if I can help. Yeah, no, really. And, um, you know, like, like I said, like going into it, um, one, one of the biggest causes of stress in my life prior to finding out specifically that the cancer was what was causing the health issues I was having was that I don't make a lot of money. My wife had lost her job and we were upside down in our mortgage and basically the house was facing foreclosure. Mm -hmm. And so I, I go into having to start treatment being like, shit, what happens if we lose the home while I'm in, in treatment? You know, it's like I'm going to be, you know, like – living out of the car or, or trying to stay on like a friend's couch. Like what, what the fuck am I going to do? And that was part of uh, Jenna's concept with the GoFundMe going into it was let's address all these issues and let's really try and help raise some money to make this financial burden, you know, less, you know, le less of a burden really. Um, so it was amazing seeing like as like all these donations started coming in and 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 everything to be like wow okay wait we've we've got enough money that we can get the mortgage out of for you know like get the house out of foreclosure and not have to worry about where the hell i'm going to be living while going through the treatment and then from you know and then from there um and it wasn't like it was a you know unsurmountable amount of money that we needed for it. But it was, you know, a, a lot when you consider like, hey, I can't work because I'm too sick to be, you know, at work for an eight hour shift, basically, you know, it's like, I just I get too tired to be able to, you know, to be on my feet for that long. Um, and with my wife being unemployed, you know, just like there was like, next to no money coming in. And it's like, like how, how are we doing any of this? Yeah, where are you where are you going to turn? Obviously, like I mean, hardcore and punk have never provided a retirement plan. Like clearly, that's <laughs> clearly that's not that's not something you can rely on a pension for playing, 
you know, uh, to 40 people in Omaha, Nebraska. But the uh, yeah, I, I like Omaha, Nebraska. We used to always, we used to always <laughs> play the Cog Factory, and I loved that spot. I play I played the Ranch Bowl there. It's oh, it, it's yeah. it's good shows, but yeah, I, I I don't know why I pick on Omaha. It's just uh, you pick a random town in the Midwest and you're playing to nobody. But b- before I let you go, I wanted to hit on the uh, obviously like you know Nate Fest and. Well, I'll do my own proper promotion at the top of the show, but that was something I presume that was one of those things where it's like, you know, Tim, the singer of Ensign, probably came to you and was like, hey, so we're going to do this. And you're like, oh, oh, okay. Is, is that kind of how it transpired? Uh, yeah, pretty much exactly. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, one one quick point before we get into, into Nate Fest. Just um, I really want people to know that how much it means to me with everything that's gone on with, especially with the GoFundMe. Um, and just in general, I mean, the influx of phone calls and emails and Facebook messages and texts, you know, it's like all of this has been so uplifting with the GoFundMe in specific. It's like while I have to, you know, obviously say, of course, the the amount in the overall aspect of it is important because, you know, clearly it's, you know, that's a lot of money and that's going to help me do all these things that I need to do, pay for all this treatment, you know, be able to stay in my home, like all these things. However, my focus on it has always been the people, not the amount. You know, it never mattered to me if it was somebody making a, you know, a $5 donation or a, I think the largest one I saw in there was like a $4,000 anonymous one. You know, it's like, the dollar amount made no difference to me. I don't love the person who donated $4,000 more than I love the person who donated $5 because it's just the fact for me that they they wanted to donate anything. Um, so I made sure, and I still do to this day, I look at the site constantly. And every time somebody makes a donation, I read who it is. I read every comment that somebody makes, every message that's sent. Like I keep up on all of this. And as it was all first happening, um, it was overwhelming, of course, because it was so much was happening so fast. I'd see, you know, a name on there and I'd be like, oh, shit, that's so and so. And I haven't, you know, I haven't talked to them in like three years or something. And it's like I'd look at my phone. And I'd be like, huh, I wonder if this number is still theirs. And I would shoot them a text and just be like, hey, I don't know if this is still your number, but this is Nate. You know, thank you so much. You know, thank you for thinking of me. Thank you for for, you know, being a part. That for me is is such a huge thing. I wanted to try and reach out to everybody that I could that was that was being involved because I wanted them to know how much it meant to me. Just the fact that they were even helping spread the word, let alone, you know, donating any amount of of money, you know? Not to interrupt your thought, but like hearing you describe that is exactly the same sort of uh, way that, you know, I personally have witnessed you in everything that you've done professionally and musically, where it's just like, it's the same concept as you being stoked that, you know, someone bought a direction of things to come from you at the show. Like you would, you would just be like, dude, thanks. Like, that's awesome. Thank you for buying that. I really appreciate that. And it's that same sort of mentality that you're obviously approaching this with, where it's just like, there's many reasons for you to not check out my band. There's many reasons for you to not want to contribute to this thing, but you've chosen to help. You've chosen to take that proverbial step. And that, that is so, you know, for lack of a better term, humbling. And I, it, I just never, I never related those two things of what you're experiencing now versus what obviously the, the gratitude that was poured out when, you know, Ensign was as active as you guys were in the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. And that's, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> well, unfortunately, it's not the right word, but uh, it's just how I am. That's that's right. just always been been me, you know. And that's also one of the reasons why pretty much every band I've ever been in, while I may not have been the you know the cutest guy in the band or the most popular guy in the band, I was always sort of a mouthpiece for the band or or someone that sort of everyone that knew the band knew because that's just the way I am. Like I just, I like talking to people and, and I've always been appreciative of anything that, that someone has wanted to do. You know, just like you said, it's like, it's real easy to just ignore what, what, what we're doing. So the fact that you've taken any interest means the world to me, you know? So it's like, I like to try to express that. And it's, it's hard because it's hard to put into words especially the more impactful it is on your on your life you know both uh, uh you know like currently now like both emotionally and financially you know it, it gets harder to put it into words because it's taken on you know uh, um, so much more like a, a magnitude at this point but uh, one of the things that i've i've said to people with everything is with all this love and support you know both um in terms of uh, financially and and like I said, with messages and text and phone calls and and comments and emails, like all of that, it's like how can I not go into every day with a smile on my face and the most positive attitude? All I have to do, it's like oh, so wait, I don't have to worry about where I'm going to live. I don't have to worry about how I'm going to have money to. Well, I mean, I still have to worry about how I'm going to pay for all of the treatment per se. But I mean, I'm not going into it destitute and saying how the f- am I paying for any of this? You know, so it's like, oh, so really, I don't have to worry about anything, but feeling good and trying to get better. Uh, fuck, mm-hmm. I, I, I can do that. <laughs> you know, it, it's not, a, it's not even just like, you know, whatever the, the, the cheesy PMA, like, you know, whatever sort of tagline you could put on it. It's just like the, the sheer, yeah, the sheer gratitude that one can feel when you're in the situation you're in, where it's just like, well, if all I'm doing, like you said, is focusing on this, this getting better, that's that's something that I can at least put my mind to as opposed to putting my mind to these seven other things that I just don't have the resources to yeah. to dedicate to. So where where does that where does that leave you like I mean as far as the future is concerned so basically you're just you're currently in treatment and basically you are just going through I guess cycles of treatment is that kind of how it's transpiring? Yeah, term it as a cycle. Um so technically what what I'm going through it's a 3 week cycle. The first week is 5 days days of 24 hour continuous IV chemo. Um, so literally it's five days straight. Um, I do get to go home. I don't have to sleep in a hospital or a facility. Um, but I go home each day with this little portable pump that's connected to that, um, IV line in my arm. So it's, it's a little, uh, annoying in terms of comfort, you know, like trying to be comfortable and, and sleeping everything because you've you've got this line that's hooked up to you so every time i get up to use the bathroom i've got to pick up this little like fanny pack with this pump in it and carry it with me and you know if i go out anywhere or do anything i've got to i've got to bring it with me um but that's you know that's it is what it is it's it's an aggressive cancer and they've got to do an aggressive treatment so it's five days straight you know monday through friday 24 hours you know nonstop, and i just go back and forth every day that week to the, uh, you know, to the, to the facility, uh, to Sloan Kettering for them to change out the IV bag in the pump and put the new one in. Got it. Um, so that's Monday through Friday, the first week, and then weeks two and three in the cycle. Um, I don't have the IV chemo. 
I just go twice a week, Monday and Friday. I go to the, to the facility for them to do, you know, lab work, take blood, you know, check my blood pressure, uh, you know, just all of that stuff, like check and make sure I'm still looking and feeling healthy and that, you know, things are doing what they need mm-hmm. to do. So that, that's what makes up a cycle. Got it. Got um, it. And then the, the doctor thinks that um, I should only need six cycles. So basically, we're kind of looking at come May, June, if all goes as intended, and, you know, and, it, and so far, so, so good, it seems like it is. Um, come May, June, I should be in remission and be considered cancer free and, and um, sort of be able to go back to my normal life. You know, obviously, there'll be a transition period. Sure. Uh, yeah. And follow up treatments. And then it goes, I think, it, you know, it's like you go every couple months to like then every like six months and then like every year, you know, um, while they try to make sure that it remains in remission, because if it if it comes back, you obviously need to catch it sooner than later. But so far, everything everything seems really positive and it seems like everything is is working, which is a great thing. I mean, that's that's really obviously inspiring news. And that's great to hear that there's uh, ultimately it's like anytime you, you feel like you're in a situation that is out of control, anything that you can kind of control, whether it's like your mental approach to the situation or if it's just something as small as like, all right, I've got a plan like that makes you feel so infinitely better than just being like, oh, whatever's happening today. I don't know. Like exactly. And uh, like when when the treatment first started, because I didn't know what was going on with it. And prior to treatment starting, I had been feeling so sick. Uh, and was on, um, I was in a lot of discomfort and I was on, um, pain medication that the gastro doctor had given me. And so it made me kind of like hazy. So I spent a lot of time in bed and I wasn't really doing a lot. Uh, and that first week of chemo, I I was, you know, didn't know what to expect. So same kind of thing. I was just kind of hazy and out of it and in bed. And, you know, it's like after I got through that first week, and I, I felt all right as it went into the, you know, the the following two, you know, weeks two and three in the cycle where it was just going back and forth for, you know, blood work and, and labs. Um, I started to realize, OK, you know what? I, I can do this. I don't need to be in bed all the time. So I push myself. I don't push myself too much because I can't afford to overdo it. You know, like I can't afford to push myself to point that that I'm too weak to do something or that I get sick because uh you know even just catching a cold could totally wipe me out like it could easily turn to pneumonia hey he survived cancer but he do, he died of pneumonia you right, know it's like right. it's it's crazy because once they start giving you these these chemo drugs um it wipes out your immune system um so you know technically I am immunocompromised yeah the slightest of things I'm sure will could completely ruin your system Right after the first round, I wound up um, catching a cold and it was one of those like, oh, shit, like what's going to happen? And uh, fortunately, you know, like they, the doctors were checking everything out and um, my system was still strong enough that they were like, we're not going to give you anything. We're just going to keep monitoring it. But your system is strong enough that you can fight this. Normally, like I, I prior to all of this, I had a really good immune system. I very rarely got sick. And when I got a cold, for example, I'd have it for like a day, maybe two days tops, you know, like I wasn't really somebody that that normally got sick or got sick for an extended period of time. So it was a little strange this time where like I had this cold and I literally had it for uh, what was technically a virus uh, and it was a a respiratory virus. And literally it took me 10 days to kick it. Sure. (laughs) 
so so it was a little a little strange for me on that because I'm like really yeah you're, you know like normally <laughs> normally it's like two days tops I'm like come yeah on. you're like come on what are, what are you a weenie like come on dude you could yeah. do this <laughs> but uh, but it was amazing to see that like okay so even with this immunocompromised system and going through the treatment for you know for cancer I was still able to my body was still strong enough to be able to fight this and come out the other side so it just it kind of continue to empower me to be like, I can fucking do this. So I make a point to every day, leave the house, even if it's just go to the post office or go to target, you know, go out to grab lunch, like some, something, you know, uh, I still have a, a hard time eating. So, um, for example, I haven't eaten a sandwich in months, right. uh, cause, cause bread has a tendency to clog up in my esophagus and, and what would happen is it gets clogged and then I sort of start to choke on it and then I have to actually go and throw, throw it, it up. Um, uh, a little different than when you, you know, like when you, uh, I equate it more to like the, like a, a mom bird feeding her, her, her birdlings. You know, it's like, I'm not really puking like the traditional sense of this is in my stomach and I feel like shit and I feel sick and I'm vomiting. Yeah. I chewed something and it didn't go down all the way and it's just kind of sitting here and making me uncomfortable. So I'm regurgitating right. it. But I don't really, I don't really like the word regurgitate. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta get it out. You gotta get it out. Yeah. So, so are you, uh, are, are you going to uh, perform at uh, your own fest, so to speak? <laughs> that is a good question. I did recently play a show. I had been involved in a. There's a a movie, a documentary that was done about a club out here in Jersey that was uh, that closed up in the '90s called City Gardens. It was a okay. legendary venue. It was actually my favorite venue in New Jersey. I saw so many phenomenal shows there of all kinds. I mean, they did punk and hardcore shows, but I mean, he did the guy that did the shows there. Randy did, did everything. I mean, you know, everyone has played there at some point, Nirvana, uh, uh, butthole surfers, nine inch nails. That's where John Stewart worked, right? Yeah, exactly. He was a, he yeah, was a bartender exactly. back, back in those days. Yep. Um, so, uh, and then I'm, you know, uh, some, some guys that I'm friends with did a, a documentary about it called ride on the dance floor. Um, it's sort of the story of the promoter there, Randy, who was the catalyst for this club becoming what it became. And, you know, so it's kind of his story as well as the story of the venue. Um, and, uh, when that was getting put together, the movie, um, the guitar player from vision, which is also one of the bands that I play in, uh, Pete Tabit, he put together a project band to perform a few songs for the movie, um, one, you know, one original that he wrote for the movie, a couple covers just to be used, you know, sort of as like, uh, you know, filler moments, you know, music, background music in it. Um, and he hand selected everybody to be part of it. And I was one of the people, um, he asked me to play bass on it. Uh, uh, Ed Brown, who's the drummer from shades apart, played drums on it. Um, Pete himself, uh, who's the guitar player from vision. He played guitar on it. And, uh, the, the guy that, sang is um alf bartone who he sang for a band out here in new jersey called x number five um he and i were also together in a band called uh the fire still burns dude's got a phenomenal voice like kind of in the vein of like uh chad price from all uh you know so so he put together this project we recorded a couple songs um you know one the one original and then three punk covers we did um everything turns gray by agent orange um under your influence by Dag Nasty and uh, Clean Sheets by Descendants. Uh, all three of those bands were bands that had played City Gardens. That was part of why we picked them for it. Um, 
you know, so we recorded these songs. They're used in the movie. When the movie was screened at a film festival in New Brunswick, there was an after party at uh, the Court Tavern, which is also a, a, a venue out here. Um, actually, a venue I've been playing shows at. I think the first time I played there was like 93 or 94. Uh, so, you know, well over 20 years. And um, we were supposed to play the, the name of the project band is called House of Others. We were supposed okay. we were supposed to play it. Um, then I got diagnosed with cancer. I talked to the doctor and the doctor was like, you're probably not going to feel up to performing. You know, like by that point, you'll have already gone through a cycle and be at the end of, you know, getting ready to start the second cycle and just be, you know, beat up and run down. And so we had we decided we weren't going to do it. And uh, literally a couple of days before the show, I was talking with Pete and it was like, you know what? I, I still feel pretty good. Like, you know what? Like, fuck this. Like, let's, let's still play. Um, so I squeezed in a practice with the band and then we played the show and we just, you know, a couple bands played that night, uh, including shades apart. And, um, we just did the four songs that we recorded, you know, the one original on the three covers. So, I mean, it was a short set, but it was, it was awesome, you know? And, and for me, it was really uplifting as well to, to get up there and play. Uh, and I had a lot of people come up to me at the show that were, you know, before playing that were so happy to see me out, you know, and um, it's funny because everyone that sees me, they're like, dude, you, you look really good. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't have the beard anymore. Like, you know, I mean, obviously one of the uh, unfortunate side effects of, of chemo is hair loss. Um, while all my hair didn't fall out overnight, it was coming out. And so I made the decision to shave everything myself because basically I was like, if I'm going to lose it lose it on my terms and not because it's falling out from the from the chemo you know so i mean i'm you know completely clean shaven which is very 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 strange for me because i've had a beard since like sixth grade right uh, uh you know so all these people are like wow you look great you look 20 years younger you look amazing and i'm like i didn't know i had to get sick to look so good <laughs> <laughs> totally you're like wow that so that that's what it takes to get a compliment these days <laughs> yeah ex exactly i keep telling people i'm like this is the best worst diet ever right you know, of course yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm down to like the weight i was in like high school you know i'm like yeah. so i feel good i look good i mean i'm i'm tired a lot and i have some days that i'm in more pain than others but in general it's like i feel good and so playing that show, you know, and, and I mean, I had people come up to me afterwards that were like, you're such an inspiration and, and, you know, things along those lines. And it was like, that's really cool. And that it made me feel really good to hear that. But at the same time, I'm like, I, I don't know what else to do. So this is just me being me. If I can be on that stage, damn sure. I'm going to be on that stage. Yeah. Cause yeah. that's what I love. Right, right, you know, right. Like, yeah, you don't, you, you don't want this to, you don't want that to pre prevent you. It's like, well, yeah, you just, you'll, you'll take it day by day, and then once it leads up to it, you'll be able to make that appropriate decision then. Exactly. So that's been kind of the, the thought going into Nate Fest coming up. The hard part with it is that weekend of in in a March the twenty, I think it's the twenty first and twenty second, mm -hmm. is literally the Saturday and Sunday after a Monday through Friday round of chemo for me right you know so it's like am i gonna feel like shit probably yep. you know so right now it's kind of like i hope i feel well enough to be at the show because i'm gonna be bummed to miss it because there's so many bands that i want to see of course of course yeah <laughs> it's just so funny because it's like still i'm just total fanboy like right. holy shit <laughs> endeavor's doing a reunion 
Purpose totally. Purpose is doing a reunion. I'm like, you fucking kidding me? I didn't <laughs> even know that that was a possibility. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. So it's like and you a- just yeah, you just want to you just want to be there just for sheerly selfish reasons. I just want to watch these bands. Exactly. So it's like right yeah. now I'm like I hope I'm well enough to be there, and I know that already plans for it to be videoed and or possibly like um, streamed and everything. So that way, um, I don't know the full extent of what they're doing with that. You know, because because yeah. really. Yes, it's called Nate Fest, but beyond that, it doesn't it doesn't really have a lot to like I'm not involved in setting it up. I'm not involved in what they're doing with it. Other than, you know, I mean, at, at first, like Tim hit me up and was like, Are there any bands in specific that you really want? You know, that you really want us to reach out to? It was like, we already have a list of bands that we think should be involved, you know, but they wanted to make sure if there were any that that I had that they hadn't thought of, you know, because while I love Tim and, and uh, it was Tim and Dan and Clay who really were like three main people doing it. Tim, the singer from Ensign, uh, Dan, who is, is the guitar player for Ensign. He's been playing with us for a number of years now. Um, he's also played in a bunch of uh, uh, Jersey bands throughout the years. Um, a band called Mother Night, a band called Torchbearer, uh, you know, a few other projects as well. And then uh, Clay, who is an old friend of ours, used to book shows out here in Jersey years ago um roadied for ensign for a while you know so it's like those three dudes were like the three main people setting it up you know and it's like they had you know like their list of here's bands that we should reach out to no you know keeping in mind who they were and the connection to me and and all of that but at the same time they you know they they wanted my input because there's going to be bands that were unrelated to ensign and those three guys involvement that you know that it's like Hey, these are these are bands that are friends of mine, you know, like newer bands. Like, for example, there's a band Old Wounds that are playing it um, that are really good friends of mine. Um, that band Man Alive that I play in with uh, Chris Ross, um, we've played with them a bunch. Uh, they actually did a benefit shirt that they that they're selling um, and donating all the pro- proceeds to me where they took the my beard and glasses from a photo that um, a buddy of mine took and they put it on their on their logo. So the, so it's like their logo on the front with my huge beard before I cut it and glasses. And then on the back, it says Gluck Cancer, you know, and it's nice. like, you know, it's like they were a band that probably would have been potentially overlooked to be involved in the fest. But, you know, you know, because they don't have an older tie to Ensign specifically. Right, but, but that, and that's why, yeah, that's why Tim asked you. And so, yeah, you were able to kind of put together obviously or give your input towards this thing that was obviously you know being able to represent you as well exactly yeah because the the concept is is that it's you know it's about me as a as a whole and not necessarily just nate ensign you know yeah um totally so you know so i'm hoping to be there and then kind of one step further it's like if i'm able to be there and i feel well enough i would like to play a couple songs I yeah. know I know I won't have enough energy to play a full set because I already don't have enough energy to play, <laughs> to play a full set but you know I'm I'm hoping that that I can get up there too because like I said I mean this is what I know this is what I love like I started playing in bands in 1989 and right. have ded- you know dedicated myself to punk and hardcore and 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 metal you know like the underground scene since you know like it's been my life and and it's like that's all I know how to do. Like just yep. th- this is me. This is me at my core. So if I can be up there playing my bass or playing my guitar with with the band, you know, then it's like 
I'm sure as shit going to do it because I derive so much enjoyment out of it, out of making music, you know, and, and being able to reach people and touch people that way. That it's like, if I'm physically able, even if it's just one song, I am going to do it, you know? Yeah. No, dude, for sure. And I, I, I hope that that is the case. But Nate, I really, really appreciate you coming on here today and obviously uh, hanging out and talking about everything that you're going through because I think it's it's just, it, it puts everything more in context. And I think it just, uh, it's a, it'll be a great piece for people to listen to and obviously see that, you know, you're, you're here for the long haul, my friend. Absolutely. I, 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 don't, I don't plan on going anywhere. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> that, that's I, good. I think this was good as well in the sense that, you know, some of the messages I get from people, it's like you know when when i read it it almost makes me feel like i should be you know in bed and and like kind of like crippled and and you know like at death's door and it's like no i want people to know it's like man i'm a fighter <laughs> you know like i i don't go down easy so you know for some of these people it's like when they get to see me you know and uh like the first time i went over to, to chris ross's house on a night that man alive was practicing you know and i stopped by just to see the other guys because i hadn't seen them since before i was diagnosed you know, for them, like getting to actually see me and see, you know, like, okay, yeah, you know, sometimes I look, uh, I look a little more pale than usual, or maybe a little more jaundiced, because I'm just really, you know, rough around the edges. But in general, it's like, I look pretty good, you know, like, I I look all right. And, uh, you know, people getting to talk to me, it's like getting to hear my voice. It's like, you know, it, it helps paint a better picture. You know, it's like, yeah, Absolutely. I'm not I'm not just bedridden. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I have days where I can't, you know, like I don't have the energy and, and I'm in a lot of pain or, you know, I just am too tired and too weak to, to do much more than, you know, move from the bed to the couch to, you know, try and sit and eat something, you know, eat some soup or some applesauce or something. But, you know, I am doing OK. You know, I am fighting this and, and really all this love and support you know, outside the fact that it's just amazingly humbling to to know that there's that many people that want to help and that that care, and and the fact that it's you know life affirming in the sense that I've never questioned why I got into the punk scene and the hardcore scene. You know, like I've never questioned why I got involved, and I've never doubted my decision to remain steadfast in in doing this, even like I said, 25 years later, but seeing this, you know, like it's, it's reaffirming that this really is a family. It really is a community. And, you know, I mean, while I was always one of those people that was there to try and help pick somebody up when they fell, whether it was a friend or just, you know, somebody, you know, somebody in the pit <laughs> that lost their footing, you know, it's like, it's, it's really nice to see that everything wasn't just talk. You know, it wasn't just slogans that look good on a T-shirt. You know, it's cool, you know, and, and for a lot of our families and a lot of, you know, friends of friends, you know, and, and relatives, things along those lines, people who know that we're involved in this crazy thing, you know, that that's aggressive and, and there's a lot of fights or whatever. For a lot of them, they've been able to see this movement for something more, you know, for for more than just somebody beating somebody up or just somebody playing loud, fast music and screaming over it. You know, it's, it's been amazing in that sense as well to be able to, you know, kind of show the world like, Hey, this is real. And this is really based on something solid. It may not always shine through, you know, it's like the bad apple is going to spoil the bunch, you know, from, from time to time, but having something like this to be able to show people, 
no, we really do care about each other. It really is a family. It really is a community. I mean, that's that's something I will never be able to forget. This is going to be with me for the rest of my life. It's incredible. I, I can't think of any better way to uh, to end it with that uh, that beautiful note. So thank you so much, Nate. I honestly, yeah, I'm really, really glad we got to catch up from this perspective. It was awesome. Yeah, Ray, it was, it was my pleasure. I'm glad that we got to do it. So that was Nate's journey. Pretty special, huh? What an attitude for a dude like him to basically practice what he preaches and be positive and just kind of like, yo, I'm going to fight this thing. I'm going to beat the crap out of it. And this is where it's going to be. So thank you very much to Nate for discussing in very excruciating detail what he's going through, because I think that's really important to shine a light on that. So here's to many more years for Nate. And I'm, I'm so glad to uh, you know call you a friend because he's, he's a great person. And I'm glad that he decided to come on the show. So the producer and editor of this show, as always, is Tom Richfield forever connected to this show whether he likes it or not the outpouring of love that i hopefully give to him is reflective of that we have another great guest next week and so much other good stuff coming up i just can't wait each week is so fun for me to hang out with you i love it so thank you very much for joining on this journey and until then be safe everybody everybody